Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. Do you remember what the atonement, the at-one-ment is? We've talked about this before. The atonement means that God and man were at odds. God is holy, we're sinful. So the God-man, Jesus Christ, comes, dies on the cross to make at-one-ment, atonement, so God and man are one again. We're going to talk about the atonement today. Let me tell you about one of the most evil things I have ever read. The Reverend Matthew Kennedy is an Episcopal priest in Binghamton, New York. His congregation is grieved with how, her, how heretical and liberal the Episcopal Church in America has become, so they want to leave that denomination. Their bishop won't let them. So they offer the bishop $150,000 to buy their own church to keep their church. The bishop says no, turns around and sells their building to the Muslims for $50,000. Supposedly with a caveat in the contract that you can't sell it to that group. And so now the cross of Christ has been removed and the old red doors symbolizing that we enter God's presence through the blood of Christ have been repainted Islamic green. The former Church of the Good Shepherd has now become an Islamic awareness center to teach Islam. Is that evil? And that's, an, that's a denial of the atonement of Christ. And what I would say to that Episcopal bishop, not by Mohammed's stripes we are healed, by Christ's stripes we are healed. Today, we're going to study the verse from 1 Peter that says, by Christ's stripes we are healed. Sadly, this is one of the most misquoted verses of the Bible, mainly misquoted by health and wealth prosperity preachers on television. And, and I, again, let me just say this. Make sure you have a couple good, thick Bible commentaries in your house. So if a health and wealth preacher on TV is making this verse say something that nobody has ever believed it said, then you know how to correct things. Take out your Bible, if you would. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and let's talk about the atonement. Let's pray first. Father, we would pray. Our hope is only that Christ died for our sins. Nothing else will get us to heaven. Nothing else will bring us peace for our guilt-ridden souls. God, teach us now. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit about the glory of the atonement. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's learn all we can from 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's start at verse 21. Peter writes this to the ancient Christians. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow his steps. Here's the first lesson. It's not a very happy one, but it's the truth. Lesson number one, Christ calls us to suffer. I just wrote our newsletter for this TV ministry we have. If you go to pastorstudy.org, two S's, you can read my new newsletter. And I go through what's happened in American history lately. 
the Supreme Court forcing homosexual marriage on all the states. Then Bruce Jenner becomes a woman, and that becomes a cause celebre in the media. Then we've got the Justice Department mandating transgender bathrooms for grade school. Then we've got all the violence in the streets, all the terrorism attacks. I think there's a connection. If you leave God, you get what you get. And the main point, though, of my newsletter was Christians... Get ready to suffer. We are entering a new chapter in American history. We've been having it pretty good, but now I think what's going to happen to America is what's happening to Christians in North Korea, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Chad, the Sudan. Christ is calling us to suffer. Well, I was just at my high school reunion in Omaha. I saw people I haven't seen for 45 years. This woman comes up that I, I knew when I was a teenager, and she finds out I'm a pastor. Oh, she said, I've been watching this pastor on TV. He's always so happy and upbeat and positive thinking, and he just makes me feel so good. And he named him, and you'd know him if I said it. And I guess kind of bit my tongue. I said, oh, <laughs> because you know what? This happy preacher on TV, positive thinking, never preaches that Christ is calling us to suffer. It's always, Christ is calling you to be successful. Well, listen, the state of Mississippi passed a law to protect Christians with their religious freedom so they wouldn't be forced to service homosexual weddings. The federal court just knocked that down. It's going to be appealed. Please pray. But this verse teaches us, Christians, time for us to stand up and be willing to suffer for Christ. Next verse. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you this one too <laughs> before we go on. So I'm driving back from Omaha, and I stop in southern Minnesota because I buy candy at this candy store on my way back. And I'm talking to the clerk, and she finds out I'm a pastor. And Oh, did you go to the big rally in Minneapolis? And she names the same happy preacher. And I said, no. And this time I didn't bite my tongue. I said, I don't like the prosperity gospel, which is the teaching that Jesus came to earth to make you wealthy. That's not the gospel. Jesus came to earth to suffer for us, and he tells us to suffer too. <laughs> so beware of the prosperity gospel. Uh, look at verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. He, Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Here's the next lesson. Jesus was perfect. He, he committed no sin. Uh, years ago, I went to a very liberal congregational church in downtown Minneapolis. I went just to see how heretical things can get. It was horrible. The guest preacher, a Methodist professor, gets up and he teaches at the church, quote, Jesus wasn't perfect. You can't relate to someone if they're perfect. And I'm sitting there thinking, then there goes the atonement. Because if Jesus had to pay for his own sins, he couldn't pay for ours. The Bible teaches Jesus was perfect. Now, not to be offensive, but I've got to say this. The Bible never says that Mary was perfect. I, years ago, I visited the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception of Mary. It's one of the biggest church buildings on earth. It's this huge 
beautiful church in Washington, D.C. It's built on the doctrine of Mary's immaculate conception, that Mary was born perfect. I went around that church, and I would say that for every one picture of Jesus, there were ten pictures of Mary. Well, the Bible never teaches that Mary was perfect, that she was immaculately conceived. The Bible teaches Jesus was perfect, that he had a virgin birth. But, you know, Christians, we pray to God. Jesus is the one we pray to, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we pray to. We don't pray to Mary. Only Jesus was perfect. Look at verse 23. When he, Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile in return. Here's the next lesson. Learn not to return. <laughs> when somebody insults you, bite your tongue and refuse to insult them back. Now, that's not to say you can't defend yourself. The Apostle Paul, if you read his letters, often has to defend himself against the false teachers in the church. If you read the Gospels, Jesus had to defend himself against the Pharisees. So um, it's fine to defend yourself, but just do it without insulting people. Can I tell you what I've learned through the years doing this TV show? Most people who write me letters and emails are fine. And even when they disagree with me and they're writing about a disagreement, most people are fine. Some people are just brutal. There's a certain pastor, older Lutheran pastor, and I'm not, I don't believe just like he does. He writes me the most brutal letters. Uh, there's, this, uh, there's this other guy, a different denomination, who just, finally I said to this, this second guy, I said, you know, you're rude. I'm not going to write back to you anymore. And what did he do? He sent me another rude email. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I try to do. When I get an angry, bitter letter or email, I bite my tongue, I say a prayer, and I write a very polite letter back. So again, the point is learn not to return. And again, that's not saying we aren't supposed to rebuke people. Jesus said, if your brother sins, rebuke him. But you can do it without a sledgehammer. The Bible says speak the truth in love. <laughs> it never says speak the truth with a sledgehammer. Verse 23. When Jesus suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him, God the Father, who judges justly. Here's the next lesson. Trust that God will judge your enemies. The reason we don't go after our enemies, that's God's job. I mean, if, if I was that Episcopal priest in New York and my bishop sold my church out from under me to the Muslims, my would I be upset. But I would have to remember, pray for those who persecute you, love your enemies, Jesus said. Paul writes this in Romans 12, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I mean, this lady told me some time ago, I was having such a problem with this certain person in my life. I was so anxious and angry about this person. Then I started just regularly praying for this person. The anxiety went away. So love your enemies. Let God judge them. <laughs> Next verse, verse 24. He, Jesus, bore himself our sins in his body on the tree, referring to the cross. Here's the next lesson. We believe in the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Please listen carefully. This is the most important part of the sermon. 
here we go. The church has always believed in the substitutionary atonement, meaning this. We are sinners. We deserve God's punishment. God the Father justly can punish us for our sins. God the Son is sent from God the Father, comes in between God and us. Jesus takes the punishment of God for my sin so I can be forgiven and go to heaven. That's the wonderful news. It's called the gospel, the good news. It's the most loving thing that's ever happened when God the Son took on our sins. Sadly today, and this is kind of new, there are heretics in the church preaching in Christian pulpits and seminaries that the substitutionary atonement is divine child abuse. For God the Father to punish Jesus for our sins, to God the, for God the Father to make Jesus pay for our sins is divine child abuse. Our response is this. The most loving thing that ever happened on our planet was when God the Son voluntarily, God the Father and the Son were one on this. God didn't, the Father didn't force anything. The Father and the Son were in agreement that Christ would come and die for our sins. That's a beautiful teaching. Like I said, I was just in Omaha for my high school reunion. There's a very liberal United Church of Christ congregational church in Omaha. The pastor of that church, I went to the website because I have a relative, sadly, that goes there now. The pastor of that church does not believe Christ died for our sins to make atonement. And, you know, I said to my relative, you can't be saved if you deny that Jesus died for your sins. That's the whole ball game. The cross is what the Christ, Christian life is all about. Everybody glory in the fact that we have a, a Redeemer who provided substitutionary atonement. Somebody asked a friend, when did you come to understand the cross? And he said, when the bee stung mother. Well, what do you mean? When I was a little boy, I, a, a bee was chasing me, so I ran in the house. I ran into mom's arms. She threw her arms around me, and we watched while the bee stung mother in the arm and fell over dead. And my mother used that to explain Jimmy, that's what Jesus did for us. God's wrath was coming toward us. Jesus took the anger and wrath of God. He took the sting of our sin so that we could be forgiven. That's the atonement. Verse 24, Christ died for our sins that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Here's the next lesson. The Christian is continually dying to sin and living to righteousness. And this is a battle. <laughs> I mean, I remember my old professor at seminary saying, we know in baptism our old Adam was drowned. Our, the evil nature we were born with, put under the water. Our old nature was drowned in baptism. But the professor said, we learn rather quickly, he's a pretty good swimmer. He keeps coming to the top. So every day we've got to bop that old Adam down on the head. Martin Luther, writing 500 years ago, wrote these words. What does baptism with water mean? It means that the old Adam in us, our evil nature, should daily be drowned and repent, through repentance and contrition with all its sins and evil desires and that a new man should come forth daily and emerge to live righteously before God in purity forever. So a Christian is not someone who never sins, but a Christian is someone who's always battling to die to sin and live to God. Verse 24, by his wounds 
you have been healed. I think that is the second most misquoted verse in the Bible. Let me give you the first. Jesus said, judge not lest ye be judged. Jesus never meant by that that we're not supposed to rebuke people when they sin. Because the same Jesus said, uh, uh, if your brother sins, rebuke him. All right, so that's the worst misquoted verse in the Bible. Let me give you the second most misquoted verse. It's right here. By his wounds, you have been healed. Preachers on TV, the health and wealth preachers, make that say, therefore, because of by his wounds I've been healed, be gone poverty, be gone bad marriage, be gone drug addiction, be gone cancer, because by his wounds I have been healed, I name it, I claim it, and my cancer, a spirit-filled Christian never dies of cancer. Is that what this means? That's a twisting. Let me show you why that's not what this means. Look at the first part of the verse. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Peter here is talking about our spiritual salvation, our new standing with God before him in righteousness because of the cross. He's not talking about your finances or your, your lumbago. Now, does Jesus still heal us of physical diseases? I believe he does. James chapter 5 says, if you're sick, call for the elders of your church and get the anointing with oil. So Jesus still heals people. He still heals marriages, etc. But you can't use this verse to claim that he's always going to heal your cancer because sometimes he just wants to take you home. Years ago, somebody asked me to visit their friend in the hospital. She went to, went to one of these name it, claim it churches. And here I visited this old woman, very thin, curled up in her hospital bed. And I went to pray with her and she said, I know I'm going to be healed. By his stripes I have been healed. And then she died. Now, should Christians go out of this planet like that? I don't think so. I like what I saw once at the church I served. Somebody put a, we had prayer requests, and somebody had written a prayer request, and the prayer card said this. Our good friend Pete has won his battle against cancer. He is now in the presence of Jesus Christ in heaven without pain. As Peter would say, I won. <laughs> I like that. See, some of the healing God saves for heaven. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. When you and I get to heaven, we're going to look back and say, why did I scratch and claw to stay down there? <laughs> Last verse, verse 25. For you were straying like sheep. Again, they're talking about our salvation, not our cancer. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Here's the last lesson. Be safe and stay next to the shepherd. When you wander from the shepherd is when you get in trouble. <clears throat> Some tourists were going through Switzerland. They come off the tour bus and here comes a shepherd with his flock of sheep. And there was one lamb that was right next to his leg the whole time. And one tourist said, why is that lamb always next to you? And the shepherd said, because I broke its leg. You, you broke his leg on purpose? Yes, that little lamb used to wander. But I have learned in my years of shepherding, if I break the lamb that wanders leg, while it heals, it has to stay right next to me, and for the rest of its life, it's right next to me. You know, maybe God is breaking you right now through something, some circumstance. He does that. 
because he loves you and he doesn't want you to get hurt and lost into the world. Christian, let's stay right next to Christ. That's where it's safe. Well, that is the, the atonement of Christ. I want to close the sermon by singing a great old hymn out of my old Lutheran hymn book. This hymn was written back in the 1700s by William Cooper. William Cooper was an Englishman who lived in England, had depression his whole life, what they used to call melancholy. He had horrible bouts of depression, but wrote some of the best hymns in the book. This hymn is about the atonement. I think we'll do something different today. <clears throat> I want to sing a cappella, acapulco as they say. I want to sing two verses. Then we're going to put the screen, the words on the screen. Would you, sitting in the living room or wherever you're at, when we put the words on the screen, would you join me out loud for this hymn? But listen to the words of this old hymn on the atonement. Here we go. <clears throat> there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains lose all their guilty stains lose all their guilty stains and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day and there may i though vile as he wash all my sins away wash all my sins away wash all my sins away and there may i though vile as he wash all my sins away would you join me for the last two verses here we go dear dying lamb thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of god be saved to sin no more be saved to sin no more be saved to sin no more till all the ransomed church of god be saved to sin no more. Last verse, sing with me. When this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song I'll sing thy power to save. I'll sing thy power to save. 
I'll sing thy power to save. Then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. Praise God for the atonement. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us not only his knowledge of scripture but his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, if we have troubles in life, is that God breaking us or is it the devil doing it? Well, Jackie, we've talked about the prosperity gospel. Many years ago, I dated a young woman who went to a prosperity church and she taught me all suffering is from the devil. And I responded, Exodus chapter four, God says to Moses, who makes a man deaf, dumb, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? So if you get sick, is that the devil doing it? Well, there is a verse in Acts about the devil oppressing people with disease. So, and the book of Job, who is it that hit Job with all those sores? It was the devil, but he had to get permission from God before he could touch Job. So is it God or the devil? Well, ultimately, God is the one who allows things. So ultimately, when I'm sick, I don't ask the devil to get away. I, I pray, God, heal me. <laughs> ultimately, God's in control. If a person isn't fighting their sin, are they still a Christian? You know, the, uh, Christians, we sin in thought, word, and deed daily, Jackie. But if there's no battle for holiness going on, I think that's evidence the person doesn't have the Holy Spirit. A Christian is not someone who never sins, but a Christian does battle. And if, if you're living with your boyfriend, eh, what's going on here? You know, if you're having sex outside of marriage, there's no battle going on, what's going on here? If you're a, an alcoholic or a, 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 have a, dr a drug problem and there's no battle going on, you gotta wonder where they're at. Yeah. Okay, could you explain again, I think you've done it before, mm -hmm. what the atonement actually is? Yeah. Again, what we uh, teach is that the atonement means that Jesus became man, Jesus is God, who became man to make atonement between God and man. When he died on the cross, he fulfilled the righteous wrath of God against our sins so we could be forgiven. That, in a nutshell, is what the atonement is. Yeah. Pastor Brock, is there something you'd like to say here with just a few seconds left oh. about the ministry? Yeah. Everybody, we want to just ask you to go to pastorstudy.org. You can watch all these TV shows for free there. If God nudges you to support our ministry, you can do that online or there will be a, an address in a minute on the screen here on this TV show. But pray for us. We're trying to get the message out in this culture that we need to return to Christ in America. And it's not going so well. So pray for us. Support ministries, not just ours, but others that are trying to uphold the Christian gospel. and. We'll see you next week. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.